Welcome to Software Snack Bites. I'm your host, Sean McGosh of Bold Start Ventures, where we partner with Dev First and SaaS founders from the first line of code. Today, we're excited to have Dave Dorman on the show. Dave is VP Self-Serve at Grafana and previously was Director of Growth at DigitalOcean. In this episode, we're going to cover all things developer marketing, practical PLG tips, and how to scale open source products. So welcome to the show, Dave. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. I want to start off actually with kind of the DigitalOcean journey, because I think one of the things about DigitalOcean is that when I even just go out and search for basic topics, right, I'll come across a tutorial, I'll come across a piece of content or something like that. It could be on something super random, like a certain specific type of Kubernetes cluster or something like that. And still there'll be some sort of DigitalOcean content that's out there. And so it seems like that was a very strategic focus. So how did that kind of form? How'd you go about doing that? Was it an org-wide decision? Like, just talk about that. Yeah, so the technical content story at DigitalOcean was the engine that drove the business forward right at the end of the day. I think a lot of people look at DigitalOcean, especially as it went public. I would talk to folks who were looking at the business and they were like, like, how does this company even compete with like Amazon, GC? Like, how is this even a thing? But I think a lot of it started with DigitalOcean said, hey, we're actually marketing to developers, right? Like we don't care where they're going, nights and weekends, at work, whatever it might be. Turns out there's tens of millions of developers around the world and we can really go after that market. And with the founders, well, before I even joined there, we're like, hey, we're gonna write tutorials, documentation for all these other open source projects out there. Like people in 2013, 2014, like no one was taking that seriously. Like some of the most popular open source projects in the world would defer people over to DigitalOcean tutorials at the time. And I think what was really different about it was it was not blogs. I think everyone like would create content that was in blogs. Dio said like, hey, we're going to write things and we're going to maintain it. That was a tremendous effort that our community and developer relations teams went after. That isn't quite everyone else, right? A blog is very ephemeral. You write it, you never update it, you call it a day. DigitalOcean really treated these things as documentation, which was sort of unlike how everybody else was doing. So I'll pause there, but there's a lot more to sort of get into about like, how did the team think about what things to focus on. So I think the question that would be most relevant for some of the founders and early employees listening is kind of like, how do you codify that into a strategy? I mean, was there some sort of like specific sort of thing of like, hey, we shipped this product or we finished this sprint and then we're going to publish a post about it or something like, was there anything codified like that? Yeah, there's definitely an evolution. I think the early days and they just nailed it, right? Like I think the obvious thing I've learned sort of sitting on more on the marketing and product side is, let technical folks who know the product and space very well figure it out. That was the early days on the technical writing side of the folks we were, who were writing these things just like understood Linux inside and out, right? And would figure out what are the right things to work on. And I think they were able to kind of go after the big pillars over time, right? And I think one of the important things before I sort of get very specifically into your question was what Dio I think really nailed early on this specific topic was we don't have to write about ourselves. It's not about running WordPress or a lamp stack on DigitalOcean. It's you're running it somewhere. Right? So if we wrote how to install LAMP on Ubuntu X, Y, or Z, it didn't matter. You were probably not actually running it on DigitalOcean. You were probably running it locally. You were probably running it on EC2 or Linode, wherever you were going to run it. And that didn't matter. That was a seed in people's minds. So, well, Dio helped me out this time. This was the best tutorial I've ever gone after. Well, maybe the next time or the following time when I'm trying to spin something up, I'll probably consider Dio. Turns out it's also everyone else I know uses this thing. They have great tutorials. It's probably the cheapest thing in the market. Right, all those things combined, let's say like not the win today, but the win later, right? And like that took, I think probably the founders understood that just to be very clear, right? Like turns out these guys are really smart. But over time, as we thought about the strategy around like the tutorials we're gonna work on, how we think about getting people to eventually convert, right? Was like, hey, this actually wasn't a day zero conversion type of tactic. This was actually playing the long game. So that was one, not quite the question, but one important thing to consider about how we thought about that. 
to maybe specifically address the, you know, how do you like build a strategy around it? Well, one, I think it started with, we went really broad, right? Like the biggest topics in the world technology-wise is where DO did really well very early on. Going after WordPress developers, LAMP, like pick the most important, the biggest part of the market, and we wrote about those things and did very well. But as the product matured, right? So I joined the company in 2015, sort of maybe a little after the Series A. As we were starting to release all these additional products after DigitalOcean droplets, just, you know, the virtual machines, really figure out how do we really go wide. You know, we can use something like Kubernetes. I think that was, we released that in 2017, 2018, I don't know at this point, there was a, a fairly specific strategy about like how we're going to go about this, right? Like, how do we think about more top of funnel things in this regard of like, well, what is Kubernetes? Why do you use it? How does it compare to other alternatives to Kubernetes at the time, which I don't know if it even exists nowadays. These comparison type articles were great at bringing people in who are already exploring these things, then getting all the way down into something very tactical in terms of like, how are you going to optimize some node on some pod, as an example. And that we were fairly deliberate about that as we got as the company matured. Let's be clear, like in the early days, a lot of times it's let's pick the biggest part of the market or the biggest topic to get some eyeballs on. But then we were able to really start digging into like, well, there's these conceptual things. And then there's the I'm finger on a keyboard already in my terminal. And how do I solve a problem? Right. And I think that was one way we always thought about the, the world was super high. And then like I'm finger to keyboard solving a problem today. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious because a lot of times founders are hiring product marketers and certainly one component to it is this content calendar and technical content approach and, and trying to codify that. But I guess like, what does it mean, right? Like when you joined, right? What, what did that mean? What were you kind of tasked with? What did you scope out as like, this is going to be my role so that like, you know, kind of founders listening can understand what that context is. I saw it over five years there and some of the evolution of like, what did what was the role of product marketing maybe when I first joined and where it landed? And even when I'm here at Grafana, it's a little different. So that's one just general learning over time was like product marketing is very different at every state, at multiple stages and different go-to-markets, right? Like DO was the ultimate PLG, very little human interaction. You know, it was like a customer success type of sell as opposed to like, you know, traditional enterprise sales, which is very different than the role of product marketing here. So that maybe just to sort of set those things apart, which lots of other people can probably speak even more intelligently to. So that was number one. When I first joined, I think the unique thing for DigitalOcean was it was just a platform, right? It's the most horizontal play in the world of like, we got virtual machines, do whatever you want, which is how you get to a million paying customers and hundreds of thousands of people signing up every month for the type of product. So it was very much like a consumer go-to-market, almost unintentionally. Like it didn't matter, right? I don't think the company in the early days had to be that intentional about it, but it was, hey, they're software developers. And everyone needs a virtual machine, whether it's like hosting, you know, the Stackbytes podcast server, right? As an example, like that would be a common use case in the early days. Or it was, you know, actually running your CSA startup on it. It didn't really matter. I think the point I enjoyed the business was starting to think about, we have more than virtual machines we're trying to go to market about. We're going to go out implementing more of the cloud primitives, right? Block storage, context storage, load balancing, like some of the things that nowadays are like pretty standard, like DigitalOcean was really trying to build at that point was figuring out how do we launch these things? And talk to the existing base of users, people already looking at us, to use us for more than like hosting their WordPress site, whatever it might be. And that was kind of the lens we took it at that point to say, our go-to-market's really going after devs. We don't care about the context. So how do we actually frame the context around using us for some sort of use case at work at the end of the day? So that was really where I sort of started on the product marketing side. And that was really, maybe just to dig in a little more there, like identifying the use cases, I know that sounds stupid, right? Naive was, hey, what are the actual use cases for like, why are people today, you know, thousands of people already adopting us for their startup or for their team inside of some reasonably sized company? What are they doing here, right? Like, why are they doing it here versus Amazon? And it was really just like identifying that. 
for what it's worth. It's just like good old fashioned hard work, which is talking to customers, right? Like it's not rocket science. I'll tell you, surveying users is a waste of, like, wasn't that useful. If you want to really quantify this, like, sure, you can send up a survey and you know, get answers back. But I've often found from like the product marketing lens, like that's the most surface level thing imaginable. It's like, you just got to go out there and talk to dozens, at least customers. And it's like, it's one thing to say, hey, we're using you for like video transcoding. That's very easy to put on a website, but like, well, what does that really mean? Why are you using DigitalOcean for this versus the 10 alternatives you possibly could be doing it for, right? Yeah. I'm curious, five years later, when you were kind of getting ready to transition out and stuff like that, like at that time, how would that change? Because you just talked about, hey, you know, we were trying to set up the primitives, things like that. We were trying to educate people on, on the use case that you could do with them. Well, all that effort worked. And then five years later, like people know it, right? So did it start to flip more towards almost comparisons like, hey, us versus AWS or something? Or I don't want to put words in your mouth. So maybe just talk about how it evolved. Yeah, there was definitely some of that for sure. I think because there was this like this multi-thousand pound grill in the room that were the cloud providers, that was always a point of comparison. It's like, well, why would someone choose DigitalOcean? I think that was one of the major parts of the evolution over time was maybe in the early days, it was like, you know, how do we sort of compare to some of the low-end hosting providers, right? Like the Linodes or Vultures or some of the companies in the world. And as we, probably by the time I was leaving, it was much more around how are we getting the next YC or Voltstar company to join, to use DigitalOcean and really thinking about like, what is the content that we're going to try and put in front of customers there? Like, how do we think about like the email lifecycle when someone seemingly high value signs up? And I think that was kind of what was unique about product marketing there was it was about releasing these products and focusing on things like, you know, was a big driver for DigitalOcean were all the as a service things that sat on top of the core infrastructure, right? Which was Kubernetes, databases, and so on and so forth. Eventually building out a past product where those things for the most part, yeah, you're going to have people use those as hobby things, but the joke was like, hey, no one's running WordPress on Kubernetes. So those things just naturally gravitated toward like defining a little bit more of the go-to-market and how we spend time on product marketing. So there was like just sort of an evolution of the function there as it relates to how mature the product was. And I think that's the way I would frame it. Now kind of moving into the Grafana stage and broadly, I would say self-serve in general. So one question I'd like to ask actually is, is you sort of had now with Grafana, you have open source and DigitalOcean was not that, was proprietary. And so how does self-serve differ between those two orgs? Or, or maybe there's similarities. I'm sure there are, but like, you know, kind of, is there major differences that you would point to as well? That's funny. When I went to go join Grafana, like I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what like this role, job is of like, what is self-serve? Like, isn't that just like building a product that people know how to use and they can put in a credit card? Like, that was what DigitalOcean did, right? That was the whole business. So it was like kind of confusing when I was first riding with the Grafana team of level. How is this different than marketing? And how is this different than product? Like, you know, where does it actually fit? So they're very similar in many ways, which is at the end of the day, PLG, self-serve, figure out what other word we want to use to describe this stuff was like, how do we help people without necessarily having to talk to someone, see value, and hopefully all on their own, and probably be able to scale to tens of thousands of dollars a month without having to have any wages on someone, right? So I think at the end of the day, like that narrative is sort of the same between maybe DigitalOcean and, and Grafana. I think what was different about Grafana was it was like very stage dependent. Grafana is one of the most popular open source projects in the world. And Grafana has been around, we just got to Grafana 10. Grafana has been grinding for years, starting in 2014, and really started to you know, see a lot more traction as we got closer to you know, 2018, 2019, 2020. And I joined the business around 2020. There was so much demand for the product at that point, right? I think it's like an important part. So when I say, we talk about self-serve at Grafana, there was Grafana was fairly pervasive in terms of being the front end for observability data, even by that point. And DigitalOcean also had a similar type of inbound motion of that. There was just so much demand and awareness in the market, right? So I found from the self-serve side, both there and here, the similarities were, hey, there's just like a lot of people who already know who we are. 
doesn't mean they've used us, right? I think that's like the major fallacy I've seen both places, sort of learning the hard way, to be clear, we can talk about that for sure, is that like, hey, just because people are already coming your way and signing for your product doesn't mean they, especially in Grafana's world, where we have an open source product, doesn't mean they've really ever used it. They might've seen a Grafana dashboard, just to be very clear. And they probably have interacted with it, changed the time frame on some panel, well, do they want to come here and like set up a data source from scratch and build a dashboard? These are actually very, very different things. And it's the same thing with DigitalOcean. So that was a bit of a tangent, but I think there's a lot of similarities in that both these businesses had lots of traction and inbound awareness already. But then figuring out how you actually drive them to do a thing, right? See value in the product, maybe eventually pay for it, eventually adopt those products. That's a very different game versus maybe demand generation in the first place or trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, just like people to be interested in your product. So I think those are the similarities I saw here. So let's actually talk about a little bit more about self-serve and what it actually means, because I think you touched on some interesting points there, which you're like, hey, people actually are aware of Grafana, but maybe haven't used the product. I guess like from a responsibility of self-serve, right? Are you trying to increase the awareness of people who are purely at the top of funnel? Are you trying to help with the activation of the people who, again, they've seen the dashboard and now they're coming to check out like, hey, what's the deal? What can I do here? Like, is it all of the above, right? Like obviously product marketing is also a function of what you're doing right now. So like, talk a little bit about that. What does this nebulous term mean? Yeah, it's super context dependent. We, and I know we'll kind of get into some of this about other companies and how they think about it. What's unique about Grafana, and I'll get right into it is because of the popularity of Grafana over time, Grafana has built out a good, like a lot of other open source companies, we've monetized well in the early days around enterprises. So we've already been starting to build out by the time I, we had started to kind of go down this path of focusing on self-service, I've already seen some traction there. There is a trade-off that is real between trying to sell into the largest banks and largest companies in the world and building every last mile feature that's required for them versus the, hey, there's just like a human sitting at their laptop trying to do something to like connect the data source or try to figure out how to configure Otel to get data into our back end, And that's like a pretty nascent tool and they don't necessarily know how to do it. They're trying to work on with product or engineering or marketing to prioritize those things is a challenge. I think that's actually why the founders at Grafana were very deliberate in the early days when we had first joined to say, hey, we're gonna like make this as a team in and of itself and not try and spread the resources too thin. Like let's focus directly on this and provide the resources we need versus having it get it caught up in the prioritization exercise of all the things we're going to do around focusing on enterprises and the, the big asset come there. So I think it's maybe just important to frame out a little bit how this sort of came to be. So I think it's mostly here because of some of the inbound demand that is already created by the awareness in the market and adoption of Grafana and open source is really helping on the bring people into our SaaS product, right? So like, you know, if you look at like Mongo or Elastic, right, sort of the prior wave of some of these open source companies, those companies had a it took them some time to eventually build out a cloud product and they were obviously been massively successful, which we don't need to get into. For us, that was also true. Like Grafana was built in a time where that wasn't immediate. Figuring out how to run Grafana in the cloud wasn't the first thing that the business was focused on. So probably around 2019, 2020, we really focused on building out a proper hosted product, right? And intentionally, I know we want to get into this, is not just having it be a couple of open source projects hosted in the cloud, right? Like there's a difference between, I think, between building like a SaaS product and hosted open source. And I think that is what we on the self-serve product-led growth, whatever terms you want to use it, spend a lot of time thinking about is how do we make this faster, better, easier, more integrated than just as a SaaS product versus just running it yourself. So we spend on self-service a tremendous amount of time thinking about all the growth things, right? Let's use growth as another way to describe what the team does. Sign up, onboarding, activation, how are we going to get you to swap a credit card if that makes sense? 
which is not for everybody in our product because it's a ton of hobbyist SREs and people looking to use us on nights and weekends, which is perfectly acceptable. Toward then figuring out how are we going to take all these people using our product and get it over to sale. So we're really thinking about that entire spectrum, but it's less so thinking about the Uber top of the funnel, right? We don't spend that much time, at least at this point in the evolution. How should early stage teams think about this though? Because they don't codify teams in quite the same way of like saying, hey, we have open source, we have self-serve, we have a sales, like all this sort of stuff. It's much more broader. But when early stage teams start out, right, obviously, if they are doing open source, they sort of just have an open source team because that's what they're working on, right? And then eventually, you know, they ship this cloud product and they start to think about, okay, well, how do we start to connect between those two and drive that? And how do you think about structuring that? How do you think about the handoff between those, right? What sort of advice do you have around managing those two distinct and separate things, but also they seem to also converge kind of closely as well? What I'd say has gone well here, and I saw the different flavors of what it meant to do DevRel. I'm just saying that as a very broad way. DigitalOcean called it our community, Grafana. I mean, there weren't many people here with DevRel titles for a very long time even, right? It was all driven through the devs internally building these projects and writing about it on the Grafana blog like clockwork. So different flavors of the same idea of just like doing things, writing about it, driving attention. And I think it's just like the focus it's going to be some cliche is wrapped in all of this, right? But just like using these two companies as examples is helpful to articulate it. it. Was like the focus on those things of like early and often at both companies, it was about like driving awareness and interest in the product by showing value and writing about the product in Grafana terms. It was could have been about a logging tool, it could have been about Grafana, it could have been writing about InfluxDB, which is you know one of the most popular data sources, whatever it might be. Where DigitalOcean was writing these tutorials, so it was like this extreme focus in nailing one of these things that was the most important bit. I think then like the sequencing in both companies, especially Grafana, of like, well, it probably would have been hard to build a compelling SaaS product at the same time while we were driving all this adoption of Grafana across the market. So I think there was like this sequencing part that mattered. You know, if we were to do it all over again, it'd be hard to explain, right? Because I think there were, yeah, like the timing matters, right? Like Grafana really rode the wave and laid of everything going cloud-native wave of Kubernetes, Prometheus, Grafana became a stack at the end of the day for doing observability. And that sort of led the company down a path of, building Mimir, which is like our Prometheus long-term, our Prometheus backend, Loki, which is sort of uses a similar language as Prometheus, Temple, like building a very opinionated stack around folks who are trying to monitor many other cloud-native things. Those things wouldn't have happened at Grafana in 2014 because some of the wave didn't yet exist. So I was sort of a, a non-answer to the question, but it was like very context-dependent in both the companies. I think that makes sense. Timing matters for how things build out, right? And I think the craziest example of this is, you know, in China, there's so much things that are mobile first that we would have just never thought about in the US, but that's all just based on timing. And so to build the business now in China, you certainly would not want to do what we do in the US because like, it's just a different paradigm that exists over there. So I think that makes sense here. What's like the hand raise moment though, for you and your team of, you now know this is a self-serve lead or potential self-serve customer or something like is there something like that that you can point to that be like boom we got them now we can nurture them we can do sort of stuff around that i chat with like a ton of these like plg company like other folks either like vendors in the space or other companies the common thread across all these are and this is what i always find to be difficult yeah people raise their hand like people like actually raise physically their hand right fill out a contact request form respond to the email people are pretty good about identifying like when they're actually need to engage in some type of conversation whether it's with sales or needing the appropriate technical support one of the things we spent a lot of time on here is 
somewhere between support and something that's like more than support, but like not quite needing a full SE engagement is where we spend a lot of time on the self-serve world are, hey, just because it's self-serve doesn't mean no humans are in the loop. We're a very complex product at the end of the day. And people need more than just break fix type of support. So we spend a lot of time in proactively reaching out to with a technical team to help our customers get onboarded. I think we were the early days it did not look the same, but you know, sort of referred to as like the, you know the superhuman for Grafana, which was like, hey, before everyone signs up, we want to make sure we can like walk them through the happy path, even if the product didn't quite get you there. I'll tell you what's fascinating. No, half the time people don't want to talk to you, right? Especially in developer land. <laughs> yeah. Even if we're le- legitimately here to to help, and that's okay, right? I think it's just like acknowledge it. So I, where I was going with that is, I think in a lot of these inbound like developer first companies in particular. No one wants to talk to you and that's okay, right? Like design the experience around that until they want to, right? And like, it turns out, just make it very easy to allow them to do that is number one. I think what DigitalOcean did well, Grafana does very well, allowing them to do that. And then those that like, hey, we think are super interesting. And this is, you know, lead scoring, you know, whatever else we want to call it, right? But ultimately identifying, hey, there's someone demographically that's interesting for us as a business because they could probably spend a lot and they're doing something or some of their product behavior tells us X, yeah, we want to get a hold of them. I could talk about that all day, just to be clear. But I think the harder part that people don't talk about is, yeah, well, half the time those people don't want to talk to you, mm. right? And like, what we don't want to do is, you know, sick SDRs across all these people to hound them across every last channel. That is not also what we want to do. So there's like some balance in between there. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. It's like, hey, how do we actually find ways nudge to customers both in the product or over email to like, yeah, just because we desperately want to talk to someone because we think there's maybe an opportunity. I don't know, one of every five maybe is willing to engage with us. Like, let's just be realistic. How much can we really move the needle on that metric? So not quite the answer, but that's one of the things I, both at DO and here, I've sort of just unfortunately observed is we can want to talk to everyone all day long. And if they don't want to engage with us, that is the trade-off we make in self-serve. We open the doors and 80% of the time, no one's going to want to talk to us, even if they seemingly are perfect for us. Yeah. One of the things I'm curious about actually is consumer has had this growth function for a while, right? And they have in-app notifications and push notifications and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And we all say we hate it, but at the same time, like, guess what? It gets us to interact with the product quite well and, and it's quite effective. You just mentioned, for example, like in the app, trying to kind of help people understand, hey, this is also what you could use us for. Here's something that you could do or whatever, right? Are you borrowing stuff from kind of consumer land to think about that, to get users to use the product in different ways? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things, you know, we were discussing is around how is like PLG or self different for like developers versus maybe other functions, right? As an example, I'm like, yeah, I think the major difference of like, I don't know, me personally on tools I'm using, like I'm not using them on nights and weekends. There's like not many marketing tools or growth tools that I'm like using around my house, right? As an example, <laughs> right. But in SRE developed like technical and like, these are consumer use cases at the end of the day, right? Like the amount of people that are using Grafana in a home lab to like monitor their Tesla Powerwall or Nest thermostat or even just scratching an itch, right? One way or the other, I mean, it's consumer scale. DigitalOcean was like the epitome of that. And Grafana kind of rhymes with it as well. So I think that's one major difference is that like, yeah, it's like actually consumery, not even like a little bit, like it's literally a consumer tool. And there's like a funnel into actually some subset are going to be using us at work. There's a lot we can talk about in there. That's the whole thesis in DigitalOcean, in my opinion. So as a result of that, yeah, I think because we are marketing to humans and not just like trying to, in the product, sell to some decision maker or someone else maybe in that big process. As an example, we're like selling to the end user with their finger on the keyboard. Yeah, we are borrowing, I think, a lot of those growth-like tactics, right? Ruthlessly focusing on onboarding. We have a whole team that isn't moving off onboarding, right? For multiple quarters in a row, figuring out how do we make this better? How do we make this better? How do we make this better? 
by whatever metric we want to measure and thinking about whether it be in product nudges or email, whatever, you know, whatever microphone we want to use, you know, to help drive additional product adoption or just genuinely make the customer successful. We have a set of folks who that's spend their days thinking about that day in and day out, because at the end of the day, if someone is here for a proof of concept or work, right, they come in hot, they're coming to do that. Cool. How do we help them? But I don't think that's any different than helping your favorite neighborhood SRE on trying to do something at home that like whenever they're ready to do something for real the next time, they're going to look at it. Like if they had a shitty experience, I don't know why they're going to come here versus whatever alternatives they might want to go. It's just a different time scale that we're, we're playing that game on. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to talk actually about how do you structure the self-serve team, if you can go into that, which I think, again, this is something a lot of founders are excited about because they see Grafana doing it and they're like, okay, we want to mimic Grafana's success. And again, maybe in this case, they have the open source adoption, right? They have some enterprise buyers, but they're trying to figure out how do we capture that middle to longer tail of users and do that effectively. And so how'd you start the team? How did it develop? Maybe any insights you can share there for other teams? We break down into like three or four subsets here. And again, it's a like context dependent, right? Because we, we already have... By the time we had joined, Grafana had a small but growing marketing team. We had an enterprise sales organization. So it's like this structure made sense for like our time and place. I would say, as I, you know, as I talk to you know other early stage companies that are having these types of conversations, like I think a lot of the ways we've structured this team is ultimately a version of what these folks from like a, you know, if they're starting from day zero, you know, very PLG centric, right? Where it's like marketing is thinking about full funnel, not just demand generation, as an example. There's a lot of these similarities that still exist between the structure here and other, right? We kind of look at it three ways. And by the way, it sounds good when I'm framing it now with a, with a proper story, but like we've sort of evolved our way into this. We kind of look at it as three things. It's our growth team, our like product analytics groups happens to sit within this org. And then for lack of a better term, we have like our human in the loop part of it, right? Self-serve doesn't mean no people, right? It doesn't mean no sales, doesn't mean no technical folks. So we really break it down those three ways. On the growth side, it's growth is becoming like institutionalized. There's people who do growth for a living, it seems for a while now, right? So we have PMs, some engineers just focused across this. Those all actually sit within this group. But one area that we invested pretty early on was hiring a developer experience function. And what that really meant were it was existing folks in the community that just like love Grafana, right? They were using Loki, they were using Tub, they were using all these tools and they were writing about it on the internet and wherever they were writing about it and bringing them on into Grafana, right? And it was bringing on like the subject matter experts who were using these tools for work or at home and bring them inside Grafana to help improve the product, whether that would be docs, whether that would be actually contributing to some of the core things we are building towards just, you know, writing content, whatever it might be. So to me, that's been like one of the home run functions we built within this team. Is it make sense to live in self-serve? I don't know. It just happens to work for us. But to me, it's like a subset of DevRel and it like kind of made sense to live here in a marketing and product-like function. So that was our growth side. That was perfect. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about what are the other functions. Cool. And then we have um, product analytics. Grafana is a visualization tool, right? One of the most popular. So we've beaten the hell out of Grafana as a front end for you know business intelligence and product analytic data, right? Which is cool. It's actually one of the more rewarding experiences of being able to, as a non-engineer, really be able to use your own product in a day in, day out. We can connect it to Snowflake and BigQuery and uh, some of the BI databases. Or if you work at Grafana, you're like forced into learning PromQL and figure out how to use Loki and using some of our logging tools, eat our own dog food. So it's actually been a very rewarding experience about how we're able to use Grafana as the front end across all the go-to-market teams. So anyway, so that product analytic team sort of drives a lot of that. And then on the other side, we have our human in the loop side of it, where we are focusing on how do we help customers that's a little bit more on a one-to-one -one basis, right? Everything else is very one-to-many, right? It's sort of how we frame all those things. 
This is going to be the combination of kind of like a cloud sales team where we have folks who are not quite commercial reps, um, and not SDRs, but they are completely trained on our products in the cloud. Like that is our, we have multiple product offerings for what it's worth, right? Open source, on-prem licenses and our cloud products. We have a set of folks just focused on helping customers get onboarded there. And we have what we call our customer success engineering function, which is that like hand-holding technical onboarding experience. We want to make sure if you're coming in here to monitor your Kubernetes cluster and our walkthrough experiences and going to maybe solve all your problems, we have a team that's going to sit here and help you and walk you together. So the combination of this cloud sales slash technical onboarding team has been one of the more positive things we've focused on. The interplay between those two. So how does the cloud sales team know that, hey, this is where we pick off versus the technical account team being like, oh, okay, we should dive in here, right? Because I can imagine like that can kind of be nebulous. I'd be lying if I knew the exact answer, right? The right balance there. And I think we've gone back and forth against it for sure. What we've seen, and I think this applies like in a company that's growing fairly quickly in Grafana versus, you know, just being super early works. And I think it's why it works for a lot of early founders and people want to have the team, like we have everyone sitting next to each other, right? We have the people talking to the customers, sitting next to the people who are writing the SQL, getting, knowing what questions to ask, sitting next to the product managers and engineers who are building things. Like having that as a relatively set of small group of people sitting together, solves some of these questions of scale. It's imperfect, but I think where we solve this is we find the right way to try and incentivize these people where we want to make sure our customer success engineers feel part of the discussion on getting a hold of big customers and seeing them grow, which is a similar type of incentive we have for our, these cloud sales folks. So it's imperfect. We can talk a lot about actually how do we define it for sure, but it's an evolution. You mentioned, you know, multi-products, right? You, well, multi offerings in terms of delivery, but then also multiple products, right? That people can use as well. I'm actually curious more on the multi-product side. So when a new product gets released, do you start to focus on that a bit more from the self-serve side of kind of saying, hey, now we need to do a lot of education and get people to understand this is something that we just released and they could use? Or how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I think that's where we have a great marketing team that we partner with and think about a lot of that stuff. That's where our product marketing group lives today. So a lot of the, that, that kind of discussion at this point in our journey, you sort of runs through that group. But I'd say, you know, generally how I think about it, you know, whether it be here or DigitalOcean or other times, it sort of like depends on the maturity of these things. I think what's interesting in open source is we're very quick to release things, right? And get it out to the wild and let it, you know, get in people's hands. So I think there's this balance and to strike where I've seen a Grafana where everything's open source and getting released in very early versions. Versus I think DigitalOcean was more about shipping a complete experience right out of the gate and just like simplicity and elegance. Like, I think that was very much the value proposition of the product. So actually very different businesses in that regard, but how we thought about releasing things and where DO, we might've held things back until we were really ready for this to feel like we could see massive adoption of this thing right away. Whereas I think here we're less concerned about that, right? We're an open source company. We build things in public and we want to get that feedback loop early and often. And I think in a good way, what we find, and where I think that there's power users of all people very interested in our opinion of the world or of how we want to build this, what is the Grafana stack at the end of the day. So it's fairly dependent. I'd say for here, it's a little bit more like release early and often, and maybe we're not being as aggressive about how we want to try and drive adoption, depending on where, where its maturity is versus DO, where we're like, did we think we were Apple? I don't know if maybe that type of extreme, but like, I think if you were to put them on the spectrum, I'd say it looked a little closer to that. You talk to a lot of teams, they ask you for advice or you share things back and forth. Where does it go wrong? Maybe what's the common thread where you're just like, oh man, 
it just I'm seeing it all over again. And this is going to go down that path. And I could just see it. Like, do you have things like that that you kind of keep recalling? I'd say as a general statement, and maybe other people have seen more success on it than I have, is like, I think releasing new products and features just like takes more time in, in the self-serve world to see adoption than people ever imagined. Whatever you think is going to be like out of quarter or more. I think it's like a kind of actually a simple answer in my mind. It's like, yeah, just because we release something doesn't mean our customers are ready to use it. Right? right? It's like the same thing about selling your first product. You know, there needs to be time. You need to think about all the reasons why someone's willing to adopt. It's kind of the same thing on the next product or feature you want them to use. And it's just like not their priority, right? Unless they're, it's a burning feature for them and they couldn't get anywhere else. And you will get those. That's why the people adopted day one or day three or day 30. The reality is this like actually takes more time for people to kick the tires on. If they're migrating from somewhere else, like let's be clear, a lot of things people are releasing, there's an alternative. It might just be a crappy alternative that they've had to figure out on their own, right? Doesn't mean another vendor, but like, so it takes time. And like, I think that's always lost. I thought I'd learned that lesson and then I just continue to make the same mistake on a forecast or some spreadsheet math I put down on, you know, so that's like the number one thing is like expectation setting on some of those. On the flip side, you don't want to be like sandbagging this thing. But, oh, we're going to receive options for the year. So there's a balance, right? Like anything else. But that one always gets me. I don't know. It's just how you were like you were laughing. I said like, yeah, like it's the most obvious thing in the world that of course we release some feature like no one's necessarily going to start using it tomorrow. That's one thing. On the other side, I'm not saying anything novel here because other folks, you know, are out in the market talking about it as well. But it's just around that motion from someone starting in self-serve. Don't even call it, like, someone just signing up on your website. Let's just be very clear, right? And when to introduce a, like you know salespeople into the equation. And like that is, if you go back to some of the things we were discussing before, number one, people don't want to talk. Even if you were giving them one of the engineers sitting on the project, you're going to even some people are not going to respond to you no matter what you want to do. Just take it to that extreme. You know, everyone nowadays has like one of the founder or CEO. The first email comes from them, they get a reply. Those are always great. For it's worth, when I first joined, that was the first thing I did to have like all the you know self-serve emails to like have them come to me. Like it just starts discussions with people. Even there, your reply rates are terribly, terribly low when it's all said and done. So I think it's the problems I've seen just time and time again are like just trying to be super eager and having your sales team reach out and hound these people. And like, yeah, there's a lot we can get into there. Well, so I think that ties into developer marketing, right? Which is like, it's, it's a very different audience to market towards because of this fact that they want to be fairly low touch. They want to discover things on their own. And this is where I also want to talk about how self-serve and kind of this dev first marketing tie together. But one of the things is obviously we talked a lot about technical content. We talked a lot about the in-app stuff, open source, things like that. But what we didn't kind of cover is DevRel going out there and being on Twitter or talking about how they use Grafana in these different use cases, conference talks and speakers talking about how they've rolled out things, right? Stuff like that. Meetups, right? All that. How does that tie into what's happening on self-serve? Is it very different because of the fact that, hey, self-serve is trying to go from, again, those signups and activations into the product? Or do you kind of interface with those teams a bit more? There's definitely a lot of interface for sure, right? Like, so as I mentioned, we have like a, a subset of DevRel sits in this group that is developer experience. And they're definitely not very top of funnel, right? It's people who are here looking at the product, trying to do things, right? Like they're the group that built like the Ansible collection for Grafana and the Grafana stack, right? As an example, like, yeah, that's, there's some top of funnel aspect of that, but that was really to help people who were like, yo, I use Ansible. How am I going to use your tools with it, like the tool things I'm already using. So there's a ton of interface between those two things, no doubt. I think what you were getting at before is like in the earlier on, right? Because Grafana is like further along in the on these things. 
It kind of depends, right? Because I think self-service often as like a function right, or like leading PLG or whatever it might be is very much focused around the aha moment, which I think there is a very much an argument made of like how that interfaces with DevRel, no doubt, right? I think that's very important between those two things. But then it really gets into more of the monetization side, product adoption, monetization. I think that's, you know, if I were to like broadly generalize, I'd say most folks when they're talking about self-serve or PLG or you're looking for your marketing team to sort of lead those things, which is I think what you usually see in earlier stage companies that are PLG focused, is yeah, that's the part where I think marketing takes over is like once you're in the funnel and then you really get going, where I think generally you're seeing more folks on the DevRel side feeding the top of that funnel, right? And like, I don't know, why does that make sense at the end of the day? At the end of the day, if you're not a developer or necessary, how are you going to be able to write the words down on the piece of paper to convince anyone that you actually know what you're talking about? This has become like an institutionalized function over the last 10 years I've been in the space. Is like, yeah, it turns out the best way to connect with people, like generally connect, drive awareness is going to be meeting your users where they are. And if they're, it's going to be things around, uh, starting technical events. You're not going to bring you know, a marketing manager or focus on events out to go talk at a meetup. Like I know that sounds super obvious at this point in 2023, but I think that's why often you'll see, you know, there's a debate in DevRel world of like, should DevRel be in marketing or product or separate? There's a reason like generally it's related toward helping people discover your products. You want to call that marketing, you want to call it something else. That's totally fine. I don't, I don't, I don't have a very strong opinion there, but I think that's usually where I think the separation is like DevRel is very much going to be driving awareness and or adoption, whether it be an open source or in your SaaS product. And I think that self-serve PLG type marketing is going to then take over from there. Yeah. How does community fit into all this? Grafana's got the Slack where everybody hangs out in. There's a support forum where you can go and people respond to that. Do you and the self-serve team broadly get more engaged in those channels? Because then you can kind of start to, again, figure out that so-called hand-raising moment in the sense that they'll still sign up, as you mentioned earlier. But you can maybe figure out a bit more of that path. You know, I think for our stage... A lot of that's driven through other groups in open source, right? Like, in the, I think for in a good way, from a focus perspective, we're able to be very focused on the SaaS product, right? Which also includes the rest of the community, right? I mean, people sitting in Slacks, joining our forums, whatever it might be. So we specifically don't spend too much time there, but spending a lot of time with those teams that do, right? And even DigitalOcean, like DigitalOcean spent a ton of time on building a forum that was capturing long tail traffic and people asking each other questions and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's part of it, right? I think that definitely feeds into the top of the funnel. I think from a monetization standpoint, that's also a thing, right? People raising their hands and look, that's just another form for people to potentially indicate there's some level of interest. But what I'd say, and it's like not just marketing BS, like that's kind of not our intent there. Our hope is to like have it be a real community, people helping others, people working on the projects themselves, being in there and working on it. And like there's dogma, both. I think that was one of the similarities I saw across Dio and Grafana is just dogma around how we thought about the community is a thing that is important. We're not here to extract as much value right away from those people and playing the long game. I think those two principles that were like led from the very, 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 very top of the business is what a lot has been critical, right? And like not trying to destroy that as a means to try and capture an extra dollar day today has been really important. You've spent time now in two companies that have operated in highly competitive markets and They've both done well, especially with, in some cases, you know, in DigitalOcean's case, some of the largest companies ever <laughs> uh, competing against it. And even in, in Grafana's case, there's very large public companies. What advice do you have for folks in terms of this competitive positioning and standing out from the noise and getting developers to really understand you? It's a kind of a broad question, but I'm just purposely broad almost to just whatever comes to mind. Like, how do you kind of position in that sort of competitive environment? The common thread I 
between I think both Dio and Grafana, it hurts like they kind of just like play their own game in it, right? I mean, for what's worth, it helps that both both spaces are massive markets, right? So like DigitalOcean only needed one percent of a hundred billion dollar plus market to be an unbelievable company, right? That's easy to say in hindsight, but it turns out to be true. And then there was just a different game, right? Like at the end of the day, they were very much the go to market was a key part of it. The combination of the go to market, right? Tutorials, how they thought about community tied to the product, right? That's ultimately what I think PLG is, right? Like your go-to-market and your product are like deeply intertwined. Like you ask someone about DigitalOcean, they assume the tutorials and docs and community was part of the product. They don't really think it's a separate thing as an example. So like when, I think when people say PLG, that's ultimately what you're describing. It's like the go-to-market and the product, man, like the handshake there, the Venn diagram is deeply overlapping. So in my mind, when I think about PLG, like that's actually what people are talking about. So I think they just played their own game about how they went to market there. It was different how every other low-end hosting provider was going to market, just to be very clear. I think the story's already been written there on the big three players in the space. Like they were there to have, you know, Slack and the next big company run their infrastructure there. It wasn't about like building the simplest experience for some dev at home and nights and weekends to host their product. So I think just playing their own game was important there. The same thing's true for Grafana. I mean, Grafana started as and continues to be the elusive single pane of glass, right? I've I've actually uniquely been in the monitor observability space even before I was at DigitalOcean. And like, that is like the thing I think everyone's been saying, as far as I'm aware, in enterprise software forever is the single pane of glass. Like, in terms of Grafana, probably like the best executed version of that for a bunch of reasons. One, because it was open source. I think that's like an important aspect of this. It allowed folks to continue to scale the number of data sources, whether they built them on their own or actually, you know, merge them into uh, the core repo. That was a different approach than everybody else was taking, right? And I think Grafana's evolved to being more than just the front end, right? But having an opinionated approach toward actually doing observability across all of your metrics, logs, traces, and so on. But like, those were different than how everybody else did it, right? And I think that, whether it's a small market or a major market, or um, I think it was like the defining characteristic. And I think both of those things, you would say is product and go-to-market are very tightly aligned at how they're going about doing it. That to me is what I think is PLG, right? We can talk about like the roles and stuff, but like that is ultimately the story. Yeah, I think that's just such a truism that we find. And frankly, a lot of times we find founders that are trying to almost force a go-to-market on top of a product that actually, in terms of the buyer, the end users, and the way it gets adopted in the org does not map to that. And it's just like, hey, they have to go together, right? You can't, you can't just be like, hey, I'm going to go PLG, but like you're, you're a CISO level tool, right? Like, unfortunately... And there's just that there's no way to do that, right? It just doesn't work. So I think that's a really important point. And I think the tactic there would just be different, right? Like just like the tactics for doing that, right? Like you could build like a great companion tool or like something we spent a bunch of time at DO, which was maybe even more related to the point you were making. It's like, yeah, we built a, a bunch, acquired or bought a bunch of tools as marketing. So it didn't mean you even had to use the product, but it was a way to show you value, even if you weren't actually using the product itself, right? It was like, oh, DigitalOcean made it really easy to get a config for Nginx, right? Which like, I don't know, it doesn't really help the business, but drives a ton of awareness as a helpful tool, right? We sort of were doing that at Grafana in our own way. So yeah, I think that like the intersection of the product and the go-to-market like actually matters. And what I found across both these companies is you're kind of there, people like myself aren't there to like, I mean, maybe this is the wrong thing to say, is to like figure out how to create these things from scratch, right? Like these were companies that had the wind at their back that had found clear product market fit in some specific area. And like hopefully PLG or growth is to like, pour fuel on it. At worst, it's don't fuck it up, <laughs> right? Like at worst, that's what it is. But sometimes that's important. But even more so, it's like, how do we just throw more gas on this thing and expand it, get the brush fires to eventually maybe converge something along those lines. So last question I have for you, out of all the startup founders that you talk to, 
What's the most common advice you find yourself giving over and over again when people reach out to you, whether it's self-serve specific or even generally, but what's the most common advice you find yourself giving? I think one, it's real. Everyone's asking, like, how do I hire marketing people? Or like, how do I find someone who's like my first marketing hire? Who are the people I should bring on? And like, is it DevRel? Is it a, like a technical person? Is it a non-technical person? Like, I think that's the constant conversation. I think for me, if your culture of engineers or early founder is like the engineers themselves are doing the DevRel, okay, that's, that might be good enough that you don't need necessarily to bring on the DevRel leader per se. Again, this is all super context dependent. So like the generalities are hard. Then it's like maybe okay to bring someone who's got more of a marketing bend. But the hardest part I found, because I'm one of them, to be clear, around marketing, like a lot of folks who are not engineers, don't have a technical background per se. Do you understand what the hell the company does? It's like the hardest part to really figure out. Like, do you know what we are trying to do and who our audience is? Can you empathize with them at all? Is really hard because in a good way, people have been slinging enterprise software now for a long time. And like the VCs, everyone's written the right playbook on like, get a marketing ops team, write the emails, run the ads, write some content. Like, sure. What the hell are you going to say? It's like the hardest part to actually get right, right? Like it's actually fairly undifferentiated to do marketing ops well or to send the emails well or to do analytics. Well, like, but are you going to even know what questions to ask of the data? Are you even going to know what are you actually going to say that is compelling? And that is all deeply, these three things are related. And then the last point is like, well, yeah, the authenticity matters, right? At the end of the day, like people know, people have a bullshit detector. Some are better than others. I think people assume developer technical audiences are better than others. I don't know if that's true. I think it's just like, it's the classic story of like, if you actually know what you're talking about and you read an article and that article, you know, is bullshit, you will know, right? I think it's like the classic story. So if you're writing about trying to monitor a Linux machine, you know, monitor a Linux machine, you're going to know if it was written by me personally versus if it's written right. by somebody. It's just like super obvious that is the case. So what is my point there? I think it's the hiring for marketing is hard because, or product marketing in particular is because like you need to find someone who actually gets enough about what you're doing and or has the aptitude to do it. It's hard to screen for and usually I find the best because I think it's worked for me. So I think we only know how to look at playbooks of themselves. Like, yeah, well, that's, I'm not the engineer. I'm not the SRE, whatever it might be. Or some of the folks that we brought onto our marketing were not. But there's really high aptitude. These people will kind of like figure it out. They're probably writing SQL, right? I know that might sound stupid, but like, does it make them an engineer? I don't know what it makes them. But like, if you can be like a junior data analyst as a marketer, you like maybe think about things a little differently. You can probably relate to what a database is. There's a couple of these things that sort of overlap with each other. So that's like one of the common things I actually say. It's like the one quip I have of like, yeah, if like you're hiring a marketer who knows SQL, like they might have like the aptitude to actually be able to like understand what you do and probably pair them with someone like a DevRel leader, pair them with a dev who can help get them up to speed. Those are kind of three separate topics, but that like authenticity, what it means to like hire a non-technical marketer, you probably need most likely because there's hard to find technical marketers and like DevRel, like I don't want to say DevRel specifically, but it's like someone who is the audience who is writing the things and talking to the customers or like the three kind of cliche, but I don't know, hopefully there's like a nugget or two that's nuanced there. I think the biggest thing that I kind of took away actually is the hardest part you said is figuring out what to write and how to write that in an engaging manner. And that's the really differentiated thing, right? That still resonates in my mind of like, you can have someone set up MailChimp and instrument this and put telemetry into that and whatever, but like the content is the hard thing, you know, chat GPT still may help us a bit, but like can't, can't fully get us there. So. Yeah. And like, I found a few of these things of like good marketing people hired. It doesn't mean they have to write the things themselves, but it's almost like a good therapist where it's like, they know the right question to ask of the right person. Right. Cause it's one thing to go to like a DevRel person or some engineer that you need help writing and you know, you're launching some product or feature. We're like, yo, Hey, write me an email. <laughs> 
that's like not actually helpful. Being able to like have an out like three bullets on what you think we might want to say, or being able to like just ask enough questions about the product to pull the right thing. Like that's usually what I've seen from good marketers in these technical worlds. Like just being able to pull the right things out of the right people, right? I don't know how you screen for that, right? Just to be, just to be candid. But I think that is the nuance. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Dave, thanks so much for the time. What is it that you'd like to highlight for the audience, whether for Grafana or for you personally, that people should know about? Check out Grafana. If you aren't already familiar, you probably interact with some capacity or your SR teams probably do. Have them check it out. Find me on all the normal places, LinkedIn, Twitter. I don't have that much to say there, but happy to connect one way or the other. I hope that some of these you'll externalize in a blog post because there's certainly a lot of nuggets that I think you could start doing. And obviously you have the day job that's keeping you busy, but I think hopefully at some point those would be great stuff to externalize. And this podcast is the first step to doing that. So thanks for sharing your insights with everybody and looking forward to chatting again soon. Hey man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This was fun.